All righty. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. First, I want to welcome all the new uh, sixth graders. If you're a sixth grader, raise your hand. Let's give it up for our new sixth graders. Come on, guys. Let's give it up. Let's give it up. We are excited that you're here. Uh, we love you guys, and we hope that you have uh, fun, but most importantly, that you uh, learn about God's Word and you apply it, because that's what we do here. Um, fun games are good. The fellowship is good, but never, never take away the fact that the reason why we come on Wednesday nights is to learn about God's Word. It should be sanctified by it. It should be confronted by it. It should be encouraged by it. But the Word of God is important, and it's key in our coming to Wednesday nights and youth Sunday schools when we have them. All right. Have you ever wondered how companies that start off small make it so big? Have you ever wondered that? Let's take Apple, for instance, okay? Apple's Computers was founded on April 1st, 1976 by college dropouts, Steve Jobs and Steve, Steve what? Wozniak. Uh, so they kind of had this vision. At that time, computers were huge. They were like big as rooms. So they had the idea, why don't we bring computers to the house where people can actually use it in their home? That, this idea was far-fetched, by the way. I know that you guys are like the iPad and the iPhone era that you were born and you've been you know, swiping iPads. But believe it or not, at one point in time, yeah, computers weren't a thing. So they had this vision, right? Jobs and Wozniak wanted to make computers small enough for people to have in their homes. They started out building the Apple One in, in a huge, nice state-of-the-art factory. No, actually it was their garage, in their garage, right? They started in their garage, they built the first one, and guess what? They sold the first one without monitors, keyboards, or casing. Yeah, you're like, what do you mean? How, how could that even be? Well, that's what they did. Eventually it grew. It grew, and Steve Jobs, he left. He created another company called Next, and he was, you know, he, he made it there, and then he made it so big that he actually bought Pixar from Lucas, uh, George Lucas Film. And then guess what? You know, Apple really wanted him back, so they bought, you know, Pixar from him, and then he came back, and he was on the board, and basically after perfecting the Mac computer and inventing the iPod, and 2007, the iPhone, Guess what, on August 8, 2018, Apple became the first trillion dollar company. First trillion dollar company. That's a lot of money. So for you history buffs, what was the first billion dollar company in the United States of America? U.S. Steel, Andrew Carnegie. And that was in the, 19, in the 18, late 1800s, okay? So it took almost 100 years to get to the first trillion company. Now. Just as Apple started off with two individuals and became a trillion dollar company, so did the apostles start with small, 12 in number, but they were able to impact the world and the future generations to come through the power of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 13. Hello, hello. I guess, can you hear me if I talk like this? Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I don't like that static sound. Even though talking to the mic is kind of relaxing, but 
Matthew 13, verse 31. Now, what we're about to read is the Word of God. Every time you read the Word of God, you have to give it the respect it deserves. Okay? Let's pay attention. Here we go. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three packs of flour until it was all leaven. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my, my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Amen? Today's lesson, actually I'm going to go back to the mic. My, my voice is going to kind of like, all right, I'm going to probably lose my voice by the end of the night. So, uh, don't underestimate the gospel. So, for my incoming sixth graders, uh, it's important that you bring notes. Uh, it's good that you bring notes because after this, we um, actually split into small groups and we ask you, questions of what you learn and it's nice to reference your notes so a good portion of the youth should be writing notes but I encourage you to do so uh, even if no one does you do it because you know it's the right thing to do no I'm just kidding anyways and for those taking notes I want you to uh, look at the outline of what we're going to go over for today we're going to look at two illustrations of the kingdom of heaven and why Jesus continued to speak in parables to the crowds. So, outline the first illustration is the mustard seed, and that's verses uh, 31 through 32. And the second illustration is 11, that's verse, verse 33. And the parables, why parables, verses 34 through 35. And the theme, some, the theme, the main idea, the universal principle that we can apply today, and that the readers, when they were reading this back, when Matthew wrote this letter, is the following. Never underestimate the power and influence of the gospel. Never underestimate the power and influence of the gospel. I'm going to keep it up there so you guys that are taking notes can, can have it there. So let's go to our first illustration of the kingdom, the mustard seed. He presented another parable, verses 31, to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. A parable. We have a great definition of a parable, as Matt taught us a couple of weeks ago. In short, the very mini version of that is basically, in the Greek, a short moral story with a symbolic meaning, okay? Uh, a mustard plant is basically a, a mustard plant of the family, uh, known for its exceptional height, among other garden plants. And we went from Brandon talking about the types of soils, right, where seeds were being planted in the parable of the sower, but today we go to the actual seed. Today we go to the actual seed. Let's see what a mustard seed looks like. That is what a mustard seed looks like. Small. You can say insignificant. But look what it could become. Look at the potential that it has to become. 
back to the alright you guys. So why state the mustard seed? Why do that? If I were to tell you when people say everything is bigger in what is that? It's a common saying, right? What is that does is it really true that everything is bigger in Texas? Well, you know, technically. No, I'm just kidding. Well, not everything is bigger in Texas, but you get the picture that pretty much things are big in Texas, all right? But here, the mustard seed uh, is basically a rabbinical tradition, makes it basically saying the mustard seed was a pr proverbial for smallness, okay? It's tinier than all the seeds, but big enough to create a small tree where birds can rest. Verse 32 And this is smaller than all the other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. So Jesus is saying, look at the, the kingdom of heaven. It's like a mustard seed. Right? While you might think small and insignificant, it's much more than that. It's much more than that. Way much more than that. Some have argued that this verse makes the Bible inerrant. Because the mustard seed is not the actual smallest seed that exists. So you might think to yourself, oh, so the Bible is lying right now? It's not true? Everything I've taught has been a lie? No, rest assured, it is not. It's The Bible is still true. Okay? However, when you read the context, you find that the smallest seed among what? What does it say in your, in, in your Bible? Among what? Garden plants. The smallest seed among garden plants, and that is true. And the Lord was referring to and would have been, at that time, the smallest seed available at that time. So the Bible is not an error, it is true. So believe when Jesus say, look at the mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. So what's the point? Being a parable... It's not trying to be a scientific illustration. Jesus is not trying to be giving a science class to his disciples or to those who are listening to him. No, he's coming. He's going somewhere with this. What's the point? Let me ask you the question. What do you think the point of the mustard seed is? And, 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 and the example that Jesus is trying to tell, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. What, what do you think the point is here? Yes? Get, great. And what is that mental picture? What is he trying to communicate to the disciples or to the crowds? Okay. Yes, and hold that thought. Okay. The point here is influence. Christianity would start with only what? Twelve apostles. And look where we are today. Look at the power of the Holy Spirit throughout history. Have governments been able to stop the church? Have governments been able to stop the church? No. No. You, t you take countries like China, for instance, and today. Persecution, rampant. Yeah, there's 50 million Christians estimated in China. You explain that to me. Where a country that politically has laws against you being a Christian, yet it flourishes. No one can stop the church. No one can stop the work 
and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church, in the growing of the church. What are other examples that you can think of that have small beginnings but eventually come and become enormous and change? Yes. Okay. But let's talk more. Yes, Seth. <laughs> yes, our youth group. The disciples. Disciples, okay. Life, because life starts out very small, gets bigger, and it touches other life, spreads. Wow, deep. <laughs> Guys, what about like Adam and Eve? Two people, and then we have six billion today? That's a lot. Like, two people can make six billion, or descending six, well, technically Eve. Knows and his family, but you know what I'm trying to say here, right? Trillion dollar companies, right? Small start. What about fidget spinners <laughs> or fads, right? Something so small, and all of a sudden the whole world is doing it. Now. Yeah, I know they're all gone. I mean, now the the, the latest fad was what? The puppets? No, what's what's going on now? A commentator states. That for Jesus, it was more important to emphasize a tiny beginning than the glorious ending. He wanted them to know that God was in control of his kingdom and they needed to be faithful to obey and seek first his kingdom. How big would this tiny seed lead to? Jesus referenced Ezekiel 17.23. Let's turn our Bibles to Ezekiel 17.23. Ezekiel 17, 23. When you're there, just look up. That was kind of weird. Okay. Verse 23, the word of God says, On the high mountain of Israel I will plant it, and that it may bring forth bows and bear fruit and become a slightly a stately cedar and birds of every kind will nest under it they will nest in the shade of its branches Ezekiel 18 is a messianic prophecy that God will provide the Messiah from the line of David his kingdom is referred to as a tree meaning heaven with many branches that will have many kinds of birds flocking to it the prophecy is including Gentiles in this picture as well. So the kingdom that started with little significance would one day be so great that even Gentiles like you and me would be part of it. Amen? Tiny seed would, would create a huge kingdom. A kingdom that you and me, by God's grace, can be a part of one day. Amen? Now let's go ahead and turn, on, turn to the second illustration. The leaven, in verse 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So right now, I'm probably going to show you the most satisfying video that you've ever seen in your life.
He said, do you know how to... I know there's a button here. Okay. Here we go. All right. So this is what leaven does. For those that don't know what leaven does. It basically is added to dough. And that yeast is what makes the dough expand. It's what makes the dough rise. It's what makes bread be fluffy. Muffins be fluffy. Without this, there is no cake for you to eat. There is no nice bread with butter that you can put on. All right, thank you. That was pretty much it. Yeah. I told you it was the most satisfying video you could ever see in your life. Leaven, a substance used to produce fermentation in dough or a liquid, the main ingredient that causes bread to rise. That is what leaven is. Another word for leaven is what, guys? Yeast, good. So this yeast is like leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pegs of flour until it was all leavened. So we have a similar theme here. We have a tiny substance having a what? Huge effect. A tiny substance having a huge effect. Now, how much yeast do you have to put in dough so it can leaven? It can rise. How much yeast? Asher? A lot? That's the opposite. Yeah, we don't want to do a lot, because then you have a movie. Yes. Okay. Small, small yeast, small leaven to make something expand, to have influence over that and its structure. Okay? So... The seed was focusing on what? Extensive growth, but the leaven is focusing on intensive transformation. While the mustard seed grows and it becomes pretty high, you saw the picture, and in Palestine, these were big enough shrubs where literally birds can nest on them. But here, with the leaven, it's focusing on intense transformation. It transforms what it touches. You know what unleavened bread is? Like pita bread, that's unleavened bread. Or like when you eat, well, how many like thin crust pizza when you order it, thin crust? That's unleavened. And then when you order a deep dish, that's a lot of leaven right there for you, okay? I'm hungry. Now, they both represent that the kingdom of heaven does not operate in, in an apocalyptically <laughs> <laughs> I've practiced this word before, I promise. El reino de Dios no viene en una forma apocalíptica. Apocalyptic. That's my boy, that's my son. Apocalyptic. It does not come in an apocalyptic. It doesn't come in that way. But quietly, from small beginnings. Guess what? Guess how many people could be fed with three pecks of flour? A hundred. actually. Good job. A hundred people could be fed with just three pecks of, uh, with the flour that's mentioned there, plus the yeast 
could feed 100 people. Small substance, again, causing great effect. Now, leaven is mentioned 22 times in the Old Testament, and it's mentioned 17 times in the New Testament. It is usually mentioned as sin. Now I know what's going on. It didn't print out the, um, the verses. Um, have no fear. My computer is here. I'm sorry, guys. Today was one of those days where things at work just kept on kept on coming and coming and coming. And by the time I went to print it out, the printer didn't want to work. And my fellow countrymen here and blessed brothers did print it out for me. And it's not their fault. So. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're all good. Let's all turn our Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 11. So, 11, small substance making a great transformation. That's what we are right now. We just mentioned that 11 is mentioned in the Bible many times in the Old Testament and in the New. Um, sometimes it is mentioned and it represents sin, and that's what we're going to read right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. When you're there, look up. I gotta stop doing that. Okay. First Corinthians chapter five or six to eleven. The, the word of God says, "Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness." but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So here, a little sin can cause your entire literally soul to go to hell, your entire soul to be apart from the glory of God. A little sin can do that. It makes, it separates us from God. A little sin in your life can lead you to more sin, specifically if you don't, target it if you don't put it off and renew your mind and put on righteousness through the word of God. However, in this case, it's used as a positive influence, causing great change. These parables of growth focus on the paradox of insignificant beginnings to a triumphant climax. Now, the question is, why these two parables? Why these two parables? Why is Jesus sharing this with his disciples. Anybody want to give it a shot? Text? Uh, because he doesn't want them to be apart from God too. Okay. Because there's something everyone will understand. Okay, yes. So the, te the technicality of a parable, yes, it's easier for some to understand, the ones that God wanted to understand. But why is he telling his disciples this? 
this story of the kingdom of God is it starts small, but it's gonna be glorious. Why would he tell him why would he tell him that? Fox? I think it's kind of twofold. One on one side it's encouragement, like even if it seems like it's not going well right now, it's like terrible. You're not leading anyone to Christ. Stop right there. What's going bad for them right now? Right now, right there, for Jesus and his disciples. Kind of persecution, right? I mean, who are who are their, their, their greatest friends that are always welcoming them in the synagogues? I'm being sarcastic. The Pharisees, right? They're always going against him. They're always, the, the, the message is not popular, right? And Jesus knows, guys, he's probably telling his disciples, guys, this is nothing compared to what you guys are going to go through. Man, you guys are going to live through some hard stuff. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Stay the course. Do the will of God. Seek for his kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Keep on preaching the gospel. Do you think we can apply that today in our lives? Yes. This is a universal principle that we can apply today. We're, we're so gracious to know that Jesus said this to his disciples, that his disciples, when they were going through the persecution, all of them died as martyrs, basically, that they would remember the, the words of Jesus when he said, mustard seed in the, in the leaven, small, but this is going to be much bigger than I could ever imagine, and more bigger than what I think in my life. It's bigger than me. Guys, the gospel is bigger than you. It goes far beyond what you can imagine. The seeds that you sow in people's lives when you preach the gospel, you don't know when they become a, when, when, it, when it becomes in fruition. You don't know when it becomes somebody can be saved. Maybe they heard the gospel from you and later on in life, for some reason, all of a sudden, like Pastor Desi said, during the sermon on Sunday where they just remember the gospel and all of a sudden their eyes open to their sin and they're saved for that one time that you share the gospel. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel. Don't ever underestimate the power of the word of God. Amen? So why parables? Why did he continue to teach in parables? Verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. Even though Jesus already explained to them why he would speak to them in parables, when do we learn that? Everyone turn to Matthew chapter 13. Hopefully you're there already. Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they did not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they could see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I will heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and do not see it, 
and to hear what you hear and to not hear it. Does anybody remember kind of like the theme or one of the main reasons why Jesus spoke in parables moving forward from chapter 13 and on? Anybody want to give it a shot of that lesson? I know you know it. I'm just trying to, I'm not that I want to call on you, but anybody? Come on. Are you guessing too? So guess away. Uh, I don't think it's because the people don't really care. They just kind of are curious. Okay. So remember, I know I said a statement one time that this is the most dangerous place in the world. And the idea is technically because you hear the word of God every week and you don't repent from that, it, it is. Obviously, there are other dangerous parts. Like in the war zone, that's pretty dangerous, more dangerous than here. But what I'm saying is double judgment. What does that mean? Jesus had mercy. He was like, I'm speaking truth. I'm speaking clearly. And they're rejecting me. I'm doing these miracles, these signs and wonders, and they are rejecting me. Let me talk to them in parables so they won't understand. That way more judgment won't come over them. And to the believers, let me talk to them in parables and I'll explain it to them. Or maybe they'll understand it because they, the Father allows them to understand it. So it, God in his grace, even there, the Lord shows mercy over the people, those crowds that really heard but did not listen. Now, he did not mean that from, therefore, he would only teach in parables, right? On this occasion, he was teaching in parables, and the majority of times he would teach in parables, but he would also teach his disciples directly as well. Verse 35, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. What is the theme of Matthew? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus is king. What is Matthew trying to persuade the reader into believing when he writes his letter to the, to the Jews in Rome? What does he want them to do? What is he trying to persuade them in? It's easy. We just said the answer. Yeah. Hey, guys. Jesus is king. And let me show you why. One, two, three, four. What is Matthew known for? Doing to persuade the reader that Jesus is king. I know you know. Come on. What does he do? What does he constantly do? Yes. Yes. He mentions that Old Testament left and right. Why does he do that? Yes. Because a lot of the Jews were studied and they knew their Old Testament. So guess what? He's referencing and he's saying, hey, guys, the Bible that you guys read, the Torah, the, Mo the book of Moses and the prophets, what you read, he is there. The Messiah is all over there. The prophecies that we've been studying our whole entire life, guess what? It's in, it's found in Jesus. He is that Messiah. Believe in him. So that's one reason he likes to reference the Old Testament. So let's look at Psalm 78 too. It says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So when it comes to the referencing of this particular um, verse in, in Psalms, Psalm 78 is basically a, a psalm that talks about the history of Israel and their remembrance of God and what he has done. MacArthur writes, 
the things hidden since the foundation of the world pertain to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, which was explained, which Jesus explained to his disciples, but not the believing multitudes and religious leaders. To those who rejected him, he spoke in parables, because while they were seeing, they did not see, and while they were hearing, they did not hear, nor did they understand. God made no alterations of his plan of redemption. Everything was exactly on schedule and according to the predictions of the word of God. Amen? So, I know this concludes our, our lesson for today, and it's pretty, it's quicker than we're used to. But what can we apply of this to our lives? Number one, don't underestimate the gospel and its power. It is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. The same power that was found in, at Pentecost, the day the church was born, is the same power we have today. With that said, how many of you have ever underestimated the gospel? How many actually ever thought and saying, this is not going to save anybody? If I say this, if I read this verse, if I share it with somebody, they're just going to hear it, and it's going to go through one ear and come out through the other. Guess what? We've, probably the majority of us have doubted at one point in time the message of the gospel in the sense of, does it really change people? Does it really? Doesn't it have to be like a, 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 a fiery message from the pulpit that makes people feel tingly in their stomach and that's how you know it's a good gospel presentation? No. The Bible is clear. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Your job is just to preach it. Your job is just to preach it. God's job is to use that to save his people. Let me ask you a question. Haven't you ever wondered how do people who don't know anything about our culture, who don't have any Judeo-Christian principles, any, they're raised in different areas of the world, how do they become Christian? How did Paul go to the Gentiles, the Greeks, that worship Zeus and all these fake gods, how was he able to preach to them and convince them that the God of the Bible is the true God. These were philosophers. You're debating a philosopher. How did they come to Christ? Because Paul was eloquent in his speech? No. How? Power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. That's how people come to Christ. You just have to preach it. God will do the rest. But you got to preach it. Number two. If you are here today and have ears but are not listening, listen to this. One day we will die and we will meet our creator we will have to pay for all the wrong that we have done. The Bible says in Romans 6 that the price of sin is death, eternal separation from God. The Bible says that we all have sinned and cannot save ourselves. This is pretty bad news. But let me tell you the good news. The Bible does say in Romans 6.23 that the price of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do we obtain this gift 
by believing in the only Son of God, believing that he came to this earth, lived the perfect life you and me could never live, died on the cross, rose on the third day, and is alive today. And the Bible is clear when it says that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call out to Jesus to save you from your sin. Call out to Jesus to save you from an eternal separation from him. Don't leave today without meditating on these words. You will hear it every Wednesday. You will hear it every Sunday. You will hear it from your parents. You hear the gospel all, all the time. And you're lucky because there's some people in the world that will never hear the gospel. And you hear the gospel day in and day out. And the Bible is clear. Not all roads go to heaven, guys. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. Universalism does not exist in the Bible. All religions do not go to heaven. Don't believe that and don't think that that is true. Because if you believe in the word of God, that's false. Only Jesus is the way to the Father. And I pray that you meditate on this. And if you, if you want to talk about this more, please see one of the leaders afterwards and we'll discuss this. Uh, I'm going to pray for us right now. We're going to end. We're going to have a quick, short, uh, small group time because we're ending today at 8.30 because we do have a parent meeting for those that are uh, going to youth. Amen. So go ahead and close your eyes. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for all the blessings and all the trials that you uh, allowed us to live today, oh God. Thank you because we know that you're in control of everything. Everything that happens in our lives, you're in control. Let us never forget that. Let us never forget who you are and your character. You're, you're a good God. You're a loving God. You're a sovereign God. And we just thank you for the plan that you have for our lives today and whatever we lived today. Help us, Father, always to bring glory to your name in everything that we do. Help us never underestimate the power of the gospel. Give us the burden, Lord, to preach the gospel to others, to share your love with the world, with our loved ones, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, Father. Please give us that burden, Lord, so we can, we can do that, Father. Help us meditate on your word. Thank you because you started small, Father, with 12 leaders, Lord that changed the history of the world forever, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We stand here today thanking you for this, God. Let us be part of that message. Let us be part of that exponential growth, Father, that you have for your kingdom. Let us be vessels in your hands and instruments, Father, that you use. It is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, guys, take it. Just stay seated.